be his name. All right.
Thank you, Shara. We appreciate you leading us in praise and worship. Welcome to week three of being confined to quarters in the state of California, the city of Coronado. Uh, we so appreciate you tuning in by way of Facebook and uh, hope that you get a blessing out of being here today. We're learning how to do church in a whole different way. We've got just a handful of people way under our allotted uh, number of 10, and uh, so we're glad to have them here, but also glad to have you here by way of the internet. So let's do this. Uh, even though it's kind of different, let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer together, shall we, and ask the Lord to show up today. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time here. So would you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we want to thank you for every preacher in every church, in every city, in every state, in every country that's preaching the Word of God today. Lord, thank you for the technology that allows us to reach out and to preach to our people, many of whom are at home and would be vulnerable to be exposed to the coronavirus if they were to come in public gatherings. God, we pray that you watch care would be over each one of us. Lord, we pray that we might be safe and secure and that you would be our great physician as well as our creator and our sustainer. You're the one who gave us life to begin with. You're the one who can continue our life. So we thank you for being our God. Thank you for loving us and seeking us out. And we pray today's message and the gathering today, uh, virtual gathering would be one of blessing to the folks that are around and are listening and watching, and also a blessing to you. We owe you everything, God. Thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just want to give you a couple of announcements, if I might. First of all, uh, in keeping with the governor and the president's edict, we will not be having services here at the church this week. Uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Who would have thought a month ago that we wouldn't be meeting for Palm Sunday and Easter, two of the uh, big services of a year? Uh, but we will be, the Lord willing, meeting virtually here by way of Facebook still, uh, be preaching on the seven last words of our Savior as he was getting ready to leave this life. And then Easter in two weeks, I uh, can't see us really getting together that quickly. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but we want to make sure that the curve they're talking about levels off. So you may be meeting uh, the same way we've been meeting the last three weeks. Also, I want to say just if you could, uh, members of First Baptist Church Coronado, uh, please remember to send your tithes and offerings in either by the U.S. mail or if you'd like to go on the website, uh, fbcoronado.com, you can give electronically. That's fbcoronado.com. And we would appreciate that. Let me read what would have been my bulletin announcement, uh, my bulletin article, if we had a uh, regular church today. Lessons to learn. I received this from one of my high school classmates earlier this week, someone I went to grade school and high school with, I hope she's watching right now, and thought it would be appropriate for the day in which we live. And here it is. Once all the villagers decided to pray for rain, only one little boy brought an umbrella, and that's faith. When you toss a baby into the air, they laugh and know that you will catch them, and that is trust. Every night when we go to bed, we don't know if we're going to awaken in the morning, but we set an alarm, and that is hope. We make our plans for the future in spite of not knowing what lies ahead. That's confidence. We see a world that's hurting and suffering, especially now, huh? Still, we get married, we have babies, and we live life. That is love. We see a man in a t-shirt that says, I'm not 80, I'm sweet 16 with 64 years of experience, and that's attitude. 
the day that I read that article, I also read Psalm 46, and the first verse says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The rest of that psalm calms us with the words about God's provision and God's protection, even in the worst case scenarios. The psalmist concludes that song with these words, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. In these uncertain times, may God give us that faith, that trust, that hope, confidence, love, and a healthy attitude that we so desperately need, because this too shall pass. And guess what? Even if it doesn't, God is still God. We serve an awesome God. Let's continue to worship him in song as Shira leads us in the next two praise songs.
much, Shira. We appreciate that. And oh, how we need him. I can't lie. I miss having my people here, uh, my favorite folks in the whole wide world. So uh, it's kind of difficult uh, preaching to mostly empty chairs. Uh, but now, kids, if you're watching by way of Facebook, one of my favorite times on Sunday morning is getting together with the boys and girls up here on the platform, all of the future preachers and missionaries and preachers' wives and, uh, and leadership team members and Sunday school teachers and getting them all up here. And sometimes we'll have, uh, you know, maybe seven or eight, ten. Sometimes we'll have 25, 26 kids up here. And it's exciting to be able to share with them. So if you're watching at home, kids, I want you to get a little closer to the computer screen or the iPad or your iPhone. And I want to spend just a minute talking to you in this Pastor's Minute message about uh, this present weird time that we're living in. How you have to wash your hands all the time and you're not able to go to school and you're not able to go to church and you're not able to go outside and play with your friends. What are you going to think about all of that? What's going on? I hope you're not fearful and afraid. I hope you're just being wise. And I want you in your wisdom to trust God. You know, there's a verse. I was talking with our sound guy a few minutes before the services, and we were talking about uh, how it is for us as believers in these unsettling and troubling times, how that, uh, you know, we, we're concerned. We're very much concerned. We have empathy for people who are suffering and going through this. And I know some Christian friends who are, uh, infected with the uh, COVID-19 and are battling that battle. And so it's not that we're not being sensitive, but at the same time, as a believer, we've kind of, we're not afraid. We're not fearful. So I don't want you kids to be afraid. And there's a verse in the Bible in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You may know that verse, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. I want to read it in a little bit different translation for you this morning. It says, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God. Now, did you notice how different that is? It's not like things are out of control. God has a plan. God has a purpose. It's not like everything that happens to us is good, but everything that happens to us works together for the good, to them who love God, to them who are called according to his plan and his purpose. So kids, don't be fearful and afraid. Be wise. Wash your hands. Stay six feet away from people, and, and we'll get through this together. But know this, that God is still God, and everything is under his control. That's the message for the boys and girls. Now for you, uh, for you older people, all you adults, what strange times we live in. Never in my life have I seen anything like it. Not at 9-11, not during the Vietnam War, not during the Korean War. Never have I seen anything like this. It is truly apocalyptic. Our whole world's been turned upside down. The unthinkable just a month ago is our reality today. You know what I'm talking about. Businesses that you like to frequent are closed down. Restaurants in which you like to eat. Are, are not operating or they're only having to go uh, things to take out. Uh, b stock market has pretty much crashed and millions are suddenly out of work overnight. And churches and schools are shut down. In California, we're supposed to stay at home. Our president says so. Our governor says so. Our mayor says so. Our county board of supervisors say so. So the question might be asked, is this the end of the world? Is this a prophetic a significance of some kind. Are these the last days? Now, I want to give you a disclaimer right up front, okay? 
uh, th this is my disclaimer for this message because I was listening to David Jeremiah from Shadow Mountain Church last week, and, and I got some of this ideas from it. So if you like the message, uh, I want you to know it was his message. If you don't like it, blame him. It's not my fault, okay? Uh, but I stole part of it today <clears throat> because I really think it, it's appropriate for the day. So is COVID-19 a sign of the times? Well, first of all, we have to ask the question, what are signs of the time? I read the words of our Savior in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, where he said, There shall be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and upon the earth. Great distress. Now, when he uses the word signs in the Greek, it is the word simeon, which means a mark, a token, a miracle with some spiritual end and purpose, something of significance. And it's not just some casual something that just accidentally happened but rather a simeon is a sign specifically pointing to a truth and a reality. It's a sign by which something is designated, distinguished, and known. And he said those will be in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on the earth, there'll be distress, which means uh, in the Greek here, uh, uh, like a besieged city. It means distress, disquiet, anguish of nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring. Now listen to what else he said. He said men's hearts will fail them for fear. And again, folks, as Christians, we don't have to be fearful and afraid. We need to be wise, and we need to be obedient to those that are authority over us and, and not do silly and irresponsible things, but we don't have to be fearful and afraid. But men's hearts will fail them in these days, looking after things which are coming on the earth, because the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be coming in a cloud with power and great glory, and when these things begin to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Now, he's talking about a sign of the times there, but I want you to be careful. What is he referring to? What is the sign? Uh, pre what is it precluding? What, what is it uh, preceding, in, in other words? In, in Matthew 16, he says this also. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him, demanding that he give them some kind of miraculous sign. I mean, they were Jews, and they had been Jews their whole lives, and generation after generation of Jews, and here's this new prophet on the scene, and he's proclaiming an incredible message, and so they, they want to know, are you really from God? If you are, give us some kind of a miraculous sign, a simian from heaven to prove your authority. But Jesus said to them, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. And then he rebukes them with these words. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. It wasn't just the scribes and the Pharisees that questioned Jesus about signs. In fact, it was his own disciples in Matthew 24. When Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, when will these things happen? What sign, what simian, what signal will return it will signal your return and the end of the earth. And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah, and they will deceive many, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. A nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the beginning of birth pangs to come. So is this virus, let me ask again, COVID-19, a sign of the times? The disciples asked three different questions. When is it going to happen? I got to tell you, first of all, nobody knows. 
Nobody knows the day or the hour. No one knows. If someone tells you they know when the Lord's coming back, you can write it down. If they say it's September the 18th, 2020, you can put it down. It's not going to happen on September the 18th, 2020. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. So that's the first question. When are these things going to be? Jesus said, don't worry about that. Nobody knows. Secondly, what shall be the sign of your coming? And thirdly, they said, what will be the sign of the end of the age? So he, he gives them this list that there'll be false Christs, false messiahs and saviors. There'll be warfare everywhere. There'll be devastation. There'll be the deliverance of true believers. There'll be the defection of false believers. And the gospel will be preached around the world. But note this. These signs are not of the rapture. They're not of the time when Jesus comes back for his church to take his church out. These are signs of a time seven years later called the Revelation. And we've been studying here at First Baptist Church some prophetic themes. I, I started a, a series. I hadn't preached on prophecy for probably 25 years because some of the goofy things you hear in uh, prophetic themes are like, you know, they make you cringe. Uh, but I, I decided to preach a short series on it and call it the things that we know are going to happen. And we know that Jesus is coming back and calling believers out of this world one day. And then we know there'll be a seven-year tribulation period. And then we know Jesus is coming back and he will fight the battle of Armageddon and win. And then we know he'll establish the thousand-year millennial reign. And then we know there's a great white throne judgment. We studied all these things the last several weeks. And then will be eternity. So... These signs that Jesus is talking about were not signs of the rapture, the catching out of the church, but these will be the signs of the first three and a half years of the great tribulation. Uh, so I, I remind you, that rapture occurs before the events that are going to happen that he just described. In Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus said, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. You've all, if you've been in Bible study very much, you've probably heard this reference. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer's near. And in the same way, when you see these things, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. And I tell you, this generation shall not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Preachers that I think the world of have preached that when Israel was founded in 1948, that generation will not pass away until all these things begin to happen. But I'm going to tell you something, depending on how you count a generation, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, we're past that already. And, and I believe this was when these things happened, these Simeon signs happen, it's, it's signaling that the, the revelation, the, the return of Christ to the earth is coming, and that generation will not pass away until all these things become fulfilled. So I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know some things that this pestilence has taught us that this scourge has taught us. And I want to share these with you right now. First of all, the vulnerability of everyone. We're all vulnerable. Pat and I are talking about, we, you know, we, we just decided uh, we need to stay in. We need to stay in the house completely. And I mean, we're coming up here. This is allowed. Um, the governor said we can do that. Chief of police said we can do that. Uh, so we're here with a group of one, two, three, four, five, six, counting myself right now. Uh, so we're not breaking any laws. We're staying more than six feet apart. Uh, and, but, but everyone is vulnerable. The elderly are vulnerable. 
it really creeps me out that people are calling me and calling my wife and saying, how are you guys doing right now? Because, you know, old people need to be careful. And I'm like, I want to reach through the phone and smack you or choke you or something. Uh, we're the ones calling, supposed to be calling people and checking on them. But uh, I, I do appreciate the concern. So the elderly, uh, especially those with compromised health anyhow, lung problems and uh, other issues, are especially vulnerable. Uh, celebrities and entertainers and sports figures. I, I didn't take time to write down a list of them, but I know that Tom Hanks and his wife are, are infected with the COVID-19. I know that uh, others have also been, I think the uh, Prime Minister of Britain now has been infected with COVID-19. Uh, uh, then the, the Prime Minister Trudeau's wife in Canada has been infected. So politicians are vulnerable. Uh, the wealthy are vulnerable. Uh, having enough money doesn't protect you from the virus. Uh, it's not any protection at all. Even the young can succumb. And for sure they can be carriers of uh, the, the virus. And so uh, the fact of the matter is we're all vulnerable. And for us to say, well, it's not going to bother me, I'll do what I want to do, and I'll meet with whoever I want to meet, and I'll shake hands, and I'll, hug, and I'll do whatever I, it is, uh, that's pretty proud. And that's, that's not a safe thing to do in this day and age. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we ought to humble ourselves and realize that we're not so special, that we're above contracting the virus. And, we, and even if we don't contract it, we may give it to someone that we love, so we need to be very, very careful. The vulnerability of everyone has been brought home to bear on this by this virus. Secondly, the credibility of the Bible. I have been preaching this book for over 50 years. I have loved and embraced it for over uh, 65 years. This, this book uh, is amazing. And I got to tell you, when I was in Bible college in 1966, uh, and we would study prophetic themes, and we would talk, for example, about the two witnesses in the book of Revelation who preached, uh, and fire would come down from heaven. I mean, they were, these are just awesome preachers of the Word of God performing miracles, and how that they would be slain by the Antichrist, and the whole world would see it. Oh, I, I know what the professors said back in those days. The professor said, well, this, this means the world around them. That, that's what it meant. It meant the world around them would see that. So those people in Jerusalem, no, the whole world's going to see it. You know how they're going to do it, don't you? By way of satellite and by way of internet. And now, for the first time in, in recorded history, the last few years have made it possible for that prophecy to absolutely be fulfilled. The credibility of the Bible. Things that I would read about, I thought, how in the world can that happen? How can it take seven months to bury the dead uh, of those killed in an attempt to defeat Israel in the tribulation? How can we even think about an army of 200 million marching to war, gathered, supplied, marching to war against Israel? This was back in 1966 when I first studied that. There wasn't an army anywhere that was 200 million strong. And that seemed like an impossibility, and yet today we know China does, in fact, have an army capable of, of 200 million strong marching. So, so now in the light of COVID-19, this little virus that you can't even see with your naked eye, nothing the Bible says makes me question how it can happen anymore. 
It can, if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The world, by the way, the world has never been so poised in such a position to accept readily the direction of an apparently benevolent dictator who, compro- who promises, rather, to, to fix what has crippled the world. I mean, it wouldn't take very much at all for people to accept the Antichrist after 50 years of preaching, 55 years, more than that, and studying the Bible, I believe it more now than I ever have in my entire life. The psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So the vulnerability of everybody is one lesson. The credibility of the Bible is another lesson. Thirdly, the uncertainty of life. The uncertainty. A month ago, we never would have thought we wouldn't be meeting today. Five or six weeks ago, I don't even know if if we'd heard of the coronavirus yet, this particular one, COVID-19. And yet, look what's happening to businesses. Look what's happening to the stock market. Look maybe what's happened to your job. Maybe you're at home and you're not able to work now. Your shopping schedule, your grocery buying, your supplies, replenishing of supplies. Look how it's dramatically changed our lives overnight. I had I got to looking at my uh, my uh, sermon schedule. I, I had I had over half of a year planned out. I had all the special days on the calendar. I had the messages I was going to preach. I had I, I mean we we had planned of course to do um, the Palm Sunday service, have an Easter service, have double services. I I bought a banner. We got a banner out front saying we're going to have Easter. It's a lie. We're not going to have Easter. Not in here anyhow. We're going to celebrate it. The fact of the matter is Christians celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday they get together. It's the first day of the week. That's when he rose from the dead. So I've got a banner for sale cheap. If you'd like to buy one, preachers, just let me know, and I'll give it to give you a good deal on it. I also have a, a, a thousand invitations that I was going to give out, and we're going to be passing out the next two weeks, and I haven't even picked them up from the printer. I paid for them, but I haven't picked them up from the printer because I don't think we're going to need them. So we, we got, my office has got a whole bunch of plastic Easter eggs. I guess we're ready for next year. We were going to stuff those things with candy and have a couple of Easter egg hunts for the kids after we tell them that Jesus is alive and he rose from the dead, and that's what Easter really is all about. But look at reality. Who knew? Who knew all of this was going to happen? Well, I'll tell you somebody who knew in the, in the New Testament. His name is James. In James chapter 4, verse 14 says, Whereas you know not what will be on the morrow, for what is your life? He said, It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. He says, here's what you ought to say. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and that. Pat and I, after Easter, were going to take a trip back east. We were going to get in her van, and we were going to drive from here all the way. Our plan was to drive all the way to Arkansas and to see her relatives on the way uh, there and on the way back and to visit friends and just to have a good time. We made our plans. But you know what? Uh, If the Lord wills, then that's what we do. If it's not, we won't. And you may have your plans. You may have your life all structured out. You may have when you're going to be promoted and when you're going to retire and what you're going to do when you retire and where you're going to go and where you're going to live. fact of the matter is you you need to say, God willing. I had a professor who said, when you're going to talk about your future, 
always put a DV behind that. And I said, what's a DV? And it stood for the Latin for God willing. Always, always God willing. If God wills, we'll do such and such. And that's exactly what James says. You don't know. You don't have everything under control. And you control freaks. You control freaks. This is probably driving you absolutely insane. <laughs> you can't control. It's, it's in God. Oh, by the way, God's still got it under control. He is still sovereign. Sovereign is a good word, and, and we use it in reference to kings, but there's really only one sovereign. Not every king is a sovereign. Only one sovereign, and that's God. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. You remember that? That song? So James reminds us, uh, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And by the way, nobody here, nobody here in this huge crowd of six people know that we're going to be here tomorrow. Nobody watching by way of Facebook knows that you'll be here tomorrow. So all of our plans ought to be, if the Lord will, then this is what we'll do or not do. In Psalm 39.5, NLT says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. That was called a span in Bible days. It's about, on my hand, it's about nine inches. That was a way of measuring. But that's about how long your life is, according to the psalmist. He goes ahead and says, it's a moment to you, God. My life is a moment. It's a blip on the timeline of eternity. It's not even a full dot on that timeline. And, and it's but a breath. It's one breath, folks. It's like, that's it. That's life. Job said it this way. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower. We got some flowers that uh, were given to us last week, actually, that are still looking really nice. Roses. I was commented on yesterday. I said, these things are really looking pretty. Because so many times, the flower, you cut it, and in, and in a day or two, it's gone. It's wilted. It's, it's drooping. I've got some orchids that, that I've been watering, trying to take care of, and I got all excited because some new buds came forth, and now they're all shriveling up, and, and the, the, the orchids that were bloomed are, are drying up and falling down. That's the way life is, Job says. It says it's like a shadow. It doesn't continue. Shadow just goes away. So the lessons we learn, the vulnerability of everyone, the credibility of the Bible, the uncertainty of life, number four, the scarcity of hope. The scarcity of hope. You want to lose your hope? Watch news constantly. Watch all their updates and all their breaking news. Another person has contracted uh, COVID-19 in San Diego. We're coming after you. We're, you're going to die. You know, it's, it's like that old hee-haw uh, song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. That's about all the words I know right there. You listen to nonstop news coverage of the doom and gloom, and you're going to wind up hopeless and filled with despair. Hey, here's a couple of facts I read. I, I, I assume they're true. They came from newsworthy, uh, you know, uh, sources. 99% of those who are infected with COVID-19 will recover. 99%. They're finding some new drugs and older drugs that seem to be somewhat effective in treating this virus. As of 
a week or so ago when I prepared this, actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, over 100,000 people had recovered. Children seemed to be less affected, though they can be affected, as we mentioned. Lessons are being learned about how to deal with epidemics, like maybe we need to keep some of this manufacturing in our own country, like maybe the pharmaceuticals need to be here in our own country under our supervision and be able to be produced when we need them. So I want to give you some hope. God's got everything under control. It doesn't mean I won't catch the virus and die. It just means God's got a plan. Like the minute message I shared with the kids, he's got a purpose. He's got a plan. All things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So, so I want to give you some hope today. Hope deferred, Proverbs says, makes the heart sick. And that means hope that's postponed. When you don't have hope, you get sick. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord whose hope is in the Lord. In Jeremiah 17, in Hebrews 6, the hope is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It is an anchor for our souls when a whole world seems to be slipping and sliding away and there is no certain footing. The hope is a strong, trustworthy anchor for our soul. The psalmist said, deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. Because why? Because you are my hope, O Lord God, and you are my trust from my youth. And literally, I can say he has been my trust from my youth. Thankful that I put my faith in Jesus Christ as an eight-year-old little boy in Chicago Heights, Illinois, and that from that day to this, my hope has been in him. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The fifth thing we learn is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The worst thing that happens if the worst thing that we can imagine happens and we pass away as a child of God, we'll be with the Lord. Jesus also said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want you to notice. He says, I want you to have peace. Here's my peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. (laughs) Well, that's not real peaceful, is it? I mean, hey, I want you to be—I want you to have peace about it. You're gonna have trouble, but listen, I have overcome not just trouble. God says, I have overcome the world, the chaos, the cosmos. I've overcome it all, and so my peace I give to you. Through the Apostle Paul, he said it this way: My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, most gladly, therefore. Well, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, this virus has taught me some lessons. The vulnerability of everyone, the credibility of the Bible, the uncertainty of life, the scarcity of hope, the sufficiency of Jesus, and last point today, the urgency of salvation. Can I say this? Your spiritual health is much more important than your physical health. Your spiritual health 
and life is much more important than your spiritual, than your physical health. Several years ago, I don't, I don't remember how long ago now, my wife would remember, it's probably been, oh, 20 years, 25 years ago. I got a phone call from a postal employee in Imperial Beach, California. His name was Bill Stenson. I remember his name. He said, Pastor Bays, he said, my wife is sick and she's lapsed into a coma. And even though they lived in Imperial Beach, she was at the hospital over here in Coronado. That was before I came over here, before I was at First Baptist Church. I was at a different church pastoring. And he said, my wife is in Coronado Hospital. Can you go visit her? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And so I found out what room she was in, and I made my way over here. And as I was making my way over to the island of Coronado, I thought to myself, well, she's in a coma. But I always, always pray with people. I always talk with people, converse with people who are in a coma because I've been told, probably as you have, that sometimes people who are comatose actually hear what's being said and are aware of what's going on. So I, I went in. And I began to talk with her, and I prayed with her, and she woke up. She actually came up out of the coma. Bill was there, and, and we, were, we were amazed. And I began talking to her, and I began witnessing to her and asking her if she understood that she was a sinner and that she was going to die one day and that Jesus Christ died for her on the cross of Calvary and that he was buried and rose again three days later. And I said, do you believe that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And she said, yes. I, I believe that. I said, would you like to do that? She said, yes, I would. And I got to lead that, dear lady, to Jesus Christ in that hospital bed right over here in the Coronado Hospital. Her husband told me that after I left, she was still awake when I left. After I left, he said she lapsed back into a coma and did not regain consciousness again. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're waiting for what's called a deathbed confession or a deathbed conversion. That is not safe. That is not wise. Because not everyone gets that opportunity. The fact of the matter is, in my 50-some years of public ministry, that's the only case that I can tell you about that I recall where someone was actually on their deathbed. She passed away and was comatose and came out and received Christ and lapsed back into a coma and passed away. Paul says it this way, at the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of your salvation. And today can be the day of your salvation. I'm going to invite you once again, as we close, to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know, do you believe that you are a sinner. The Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Do we realize that someday, unless the Lord comes back, someday we're going to pass away? The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man who wants to die and that the wages of sin is death. But do you realize that God made a provision for us? He said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, how do we appropriate that? The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And then he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you would like to do that right now where you are, then I'd like for you to bow your head and pray this prayer to the Lord right now, saying, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that 
I'm going to die one day and stand before you. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and he died on the cross. And I believe that he'll save me if I ask him to. So right now, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my God and my Savior. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to hope so. You don't have to wonder about it. You can know that you have eternal life. If we can be of any help to you, please let us know. I've got a little booklet that I'd love to send to you. If you'll uh, let us know you want that either on the website or, or email to me or, uh, or a letter, postcard, we'll send that book to you free of charge. So it'll help you get started on your life with the Lord. And if we can be of any assistance, give us a call. We'll be glad to help out any way we can. May God richly bless you. May God bless the United States of America. May God bless the world and turn this epidemic and this pandemic around. And we'll be sure to give him the credit for it when he does. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.
Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next week. Keep him in your praises, everyone. <laughs>